The crimes, the criminals, why did they do it? Who got hurt? Did they meet justice or commit the perfect crime? You'll find all the clues at Jim Harold's Crime Scene. Welcome to the Crime Scene. I'm Jim Harold. So glad to be with you once again. And I think you're going to enjoy today's show. The topic is disturbing, but the guest is quite, quite good. And we know that because we've had her on the program before. I'm talking about Diane Fanning. She is the author of the Edgar Award-winning finalist, Written in Blood, a true story of murder and the deadly 16-year-old secret that tore family apart, as well as 10 other true crime books available from St. Martin's Press, and the Lieutenant Lucinda Pierce Mystery Series. She lives in Texas, and you can visit her site at diannefanning.com. And Diane was on previously for one of her other books, oh, maybe a year, year and a half ago, and she's returning. We're going to talk about a true story of a mother who killed her children in cold blood. It is a disturbing story. The name of the book is Sleep, My Darlings. Uh, Again, the author is... Diane Fanning, an Edgar Award-winning finalist, and we thank you so much, Diane, for taking time to be on the crime scene today. Pleasure to be here today. So, tell us a little bit about this woman who allegedly, uh, but it's pretty apparent, committed this crime. I mean, as a parent, uh, you can't think of anything more unthinkable than killing your own children. Uh, give us a, a picture of the, the woman behind this story. Uh, Julie Schenecker appeared to be a woman who basically had it all. She'd been uh, a star in uh, college in athletics, volleyball, basketball. She uh, was, after that, a Russian specialist working for Army Intelligence in Germany and processing through some of the Cold War people who who were leaving East Germany. And she was very smart, very capable. She met um, a man named uh, Parker Schenecker, who uh, today is, who at the time they moved to Tampa, was a colonel in Army Intelligence. Julie had left the service in order to be a full-time mom. She had two kids, Calix, who was born in Germany, and her her son, Beau, who had been born in Hawaii. The two children, uh, by all accounts, were very good kids. The oldest, Calix, was uh, in high school. She's a big fan of Harry Potter and uh, had a bright future ahead of her, great in academics. Bo was more of an athletic guy with, uh, he did well in school, but nothing exceptional. He, but he was just a very good person. And these are the two children she had. And she had a husband, a nice house in an upscale neighborhood. And it seemed like everything was going her way. But the big problem was that mental illness was tearing her apart. Uh, She had been diagnosed uh, with depression before she was married. That diagnosis was then changed to bipolar disorder. Uh, And unfortunately, people with bipolar disorder often have a problem 
being good with their medication Mm -hmm. because it can tend to make them feel flat and they miss the highs. And so it requires a lot of self-discipline. And the other thing that becomes problematic is when they stop taking their meds, then they will often self-medicate with things that uh, exasperates the problem. And that's what happened with Julie. And she uh, started spiraling out of control. There were some trips to rehab. Uh, There was one incident of her slapping her daughter in the face. And that brought in uh, Child Protective Services. But that had been resolved. In fact, just a couple of weeks before this tragedy occurred, the official said, looks like neither children is in danger of any harm at this time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, the events of January 28th, 2011. Uh, I guess the whole thing got rolling with... Um with uh, with a phone call to the police. Can you talk about that? Yes. Um, Julie's mother, who lived in Iowa but was visiting in Texas, made a phone call to have a welfare check done because she had gotten an email from Julie that sounded like it could possibly be suicidal. And not only was Julie not responding to the phone calls, but... Neither one of her grandchildren was answering the phone. And she asked police to go over and check on them and make sure they're okay. Oftentimes, police get that call and everything's fine. Um, But the worst case they usually encounter is to go into a home and find that a suicide has taken place. Mm -hmm. But this was even worse. Uh, when the police came to the home, they found Julie in back in the enclosed pool area, laying on the cement next to the pool, um, barely coherent. Uh, she uh, responded when they came in, and she gave them permission to go into the house, and um, and then once they got in the house, she got angry that they were in the house. Mm-hmm. And they went and started searching through the home to find the children. And they went upstairs, and the first thing they saw was in the open area where they had, like, computer equipment for the family. They saw that there was a whole lot of blood all around one of the computer stations, and a trail of blood that led up to the hall to one of the bedrooms. They went to that door and opened it, and in there they found the body of Calix covered up, uh, laying in her bed. Mm. They went next, of course, into Bo's room, but there was no one there, and they kept hoping they'd find Bo hiding somewhere. But instead, they went out to the garage, and they found little Bo, who was just 13 years old, Mm. in the front seat of the family car, a blanket thrown over him, and he, he too, had been shot in the head. 
Wow. I, I mean, that just, again, that's incomprehensible to those of us who are parents who are in our right minds. I, I just don't understand it. And I guess that brings about a question. I asked a similar question recently. We spoke to someone who uh, has done a lot of work on the subject of school shooters, uh, children who shoot up schools. Uh, and uh, I asked him a question. I'll ask you a similar one. Some people, when they hear of a crime like this, they automatically say the word evil. This person was evil. Um, it sounds like in this case, it may not have been evil is just totally mentally deranged. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? And, and, and where does that leave us? Well, I tell you, I am not a forensic psychiatrist, but, uh, Dr. Michael Stone is, and he read my book. And, uh, one of the things he said in, in what he wrote to me was that, truly clearly belongs in a psychiatric institution, but she belongs there for the rest of her life. She um, is disturbed in a way that she should not be out in society ever. Now, Dr. Stone um, uh, helps run a psychiatric institution in New York, and he said they have a number of people that will be there all their lives, and Julie is one of those type of people. And I agree with him. I think that um, I would not call her evil. Um, I think her mental illness had totally taken over her logical uh, way of thinking, it had, uh, yes, in some ways, it was brought on by her, by her actions because she was using other drugs, she was drinking, and uh, not taking her proper medications, and she, so she contributed to uh, her total disintegration. But nonetheless, uh, she's not completely to, to blame in the way that, for example, I think Casey Anthony was. Right, right. Now, um, th there were some bizarre things. Uh, one thing I see here, you have a photo of it in the book. There was a strange post-it note left on the kitchen counter with a plate. That was a bizarre yes. thing that was done that kind of clues us into some mental illness here, possibly. Yeah, it was, uh, Calix did not like her French chicken. She's going to make something else. And uh, apparently there was a big uh, running squabble between Calix and her mother, which I imagine probably happens in a lot of homes, uh, mother-daughter conflict over, over food. And right. It was just one of those things where Calix didn't like the way her mother cooked because she brought bought some, a lot of prepared food. She used ingredients that weren't fresh and green, and Calix wanted everything green. And normally, that would just, in a, in a family where things were normal, that would simply be one of those little abrasive things that goes on when you have sure. teenagers in the home. That doesn't mean anything. But in this case, obviously, it, it, it had much more significance because of the state of... Um, Julie's mind. Yeah, absolutely. 
Were there some, uh, now, I know you mentioned that there had been determination there was no danger uh, to the children. Uh, do you think maybe the family missed some crucial clues in, in maybe heading this off in the past? Well, yeah, I think um, on one level, I think that her husband was uh, very much aware of the fact that she wasn't right. But I think like a lot of people, he expected her just to pull it together. And um, mental illness doesn't work that way. Depression doesn't, bipolar doesn't. Uh, It's easy to, if you have an experience, to look at it from the outside as a character flaw and you just need to get your act together. But it really isn't. I mean, there, there's some strange biochemistry going on in the brain, and uh, things aren't right. And, and it takes uh, medical intervention and often pharmaceutical intervention to, uh, to establish some sense of normalcy. And when you look at this case, um, it is, it, there is a lot more mothers who kill uh, infants, who kill toddlers, who kill kids up to the age of seven. But once they get past seven, it's very unusual for a mother to kill her children. Usually when you hear about a parent killing children that are teenagers, it's usually a father. Uh, And you, you don't see mothers doing this. So this was uh, unusual in a lot of ways. And it's also like not the kind of thing you expect to happen in an upscale gated community. It's true. Some of the greatest secrets and darkest secrets are behind the most golden of gates. Um, yeah. The husband of the family, talk about him a little bit. And I've got to imagine uh, when confronted with this reality, he was absolutely devastated. Yeah, you know, uh, Parker, I mean, he he was just a a military guy, you know, um, no-nonsense kind of guy. He had a compassionate, loving side, uh, particularly with his children. You could see a lot of that uh, in his interaction with them. And, uh, but, you know, he had his code of rules. He went to Washington and Lee University where there's a strong honor system. If you give your word, you keep your word. So when he asked his wife, are you going to be okay when I do this short uh, deployment over to Kuwait? She says, no problem. I can handle it. And he took her out of his word and he headed off to Kuwait. Um, Tragically, at that point in time, as soon as he left, she went out and bought a gun. Now she had a waiting Mm. period, so she had to wait. And a lot of times the waiting period will really help it's helped a lot in suicides. It has helped a lot in uh, domestic violence cases. Cooling off period. That, yeah, so they have a cooling off period. But it didn't work for her. She came home and said, and wrote in her journal, the massacre will have to be delayed. Now, let me and ask then, you about that, though. Now, here's something where, you know, I'm on board with the idea of it being mental illness right along, but that sounds awfully premeditated. Now, I don't, I'm not a lawyer, nor am I a psychiatrist or psychologist, but when you throw premeditation in, does that in any way impact the diagnosis of mental illness as it relates to the case? 
I don't think so in this case particularly because all it shows is that she was really very mentally unbalanced. And when you are not thinking clearly uh, and you're seeing the world from a distorted perspective, your logic and reasoning do not match with anything that would would uh, be recognized as being logical or reasonable. Uh, she was just really over the deep end, and she stayed there. Uh, and, you know, I know that legalistically uh, you could look at what she did and take it as two separate acts of premeditated cold-blooded murder, but I think that that is... Almost the easy way out. That's sort of the way to dismiss it and not look at the underlying problems. Like one of the problems that Colonel Schenker ran across was that the HIPAA laws are so stringent and they, they are good in one way because they do protect people's privacy. They do protect them from abuses. Uh, but in, in a case where you've got a solid family structure, and someone has a serious mental illness, it seems to me it would have been a lot better if the people that were tending to Julie could have talked openly to her husband and he to them about what was going on in her life and in her mind. And I think the fact that he was not able to get that kind of information because she refused to grant permission. Right. Is, is why he was so blindsided. When you're in the midst of these kinds of problems, it is um, much more difficult to really see everything that's going on when you're involved in the situation. I think it would be extremely difficult because I don't think anyone, uh, most people would think that, th- that their spouse is capable of doing something like this. No, I don't. I, I think a lot of times a, a, a spouse would think um, that they might be capable of suicide, but they wouldn't think they were capable of killing the children that they'd had together. And when you look at the Andrea Yates case, um, Russ Yates said, well, yeah, I thought she committed suicide. I caught her uh, contemplating at one point, uh, but I didn't think she'd ever hurt the kids. But in that case, it's a little bit different in my mind. Rusty Yates, had very small children, and he knew those children were incapable of taking care of themselves if she were seriously injured or if she actually succeeded in committing suicide. So to me, he was derelict in his duty as a parent to leave those little children with that woman, even if all she had done was kill herself, it would have uh, caused problems. Now, I really think that Colonel Schenker left that home to go and do his duty mm-hmm. because he believed her when she said he, she can handle things for 10 days. She'll be okay for 10 days. I think he took her at his word. He did not think she would do anything wrong. And up to that point, the only thing she had ever done uh, that harmed anyone was slapping Calix in the face in that one incident. Now, 
she never um, attempted suicide. She had never seriously abused the children besides that one time of slapping. And uh, there were far fewer warning signs for him than there were for Rusty Yates. Now, Julie... Post this yes. crime. Tell us, tell us what happened, and um, you know her state today. Has she ever expressed any kind of remorse, or is she just locked up, uh, uh, awaiting uh, awaiting trial? Well, she is still awaiting trial, so um, her attorneys would not want her talking to anyone, and she is not. Um, so, but she's actually feeling what she's going through. You never know. I. You look at um, you, you look at her mental state, and we don't know what that is now in prison and, and what's going on there. But it's sad but true that that a lot of times mothers who kill their children who have mental illness once they uh, get back on a healthy, stable track again they do have a lot of remorse and a lot of regret. And there was this woman in the 1950s did um, a crime similar to what Andrea Yates did. She was living in Hawaii with a military husband. Mm -hmm. She drowned all five of her children. She, she was never brought to trial. She was immediately put in a psychiatric facility. Once she was mentally healthy again, she was able to come home. And the next day she went out into an outbuilding at her home and hung herself to death. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, that is often what happens. Now, it is possible that uh, Julie is so damaged that she'll never be in a state uh, that will be close to normalcy. So she may never feel the same way. We just don't know. And, uh, you know, quite honestly, if this was totally an act of madness and not evil, then it would be almost more merciful that she never was able to regain normalcy and uh, honestly and openly reflect on what she's done. And um, ostensibly, it sounds very likely that she'll spend the rest of her life in some type of mental institution. Either that or, you know, the state is going for the death penalty. Interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah. and, and it would seem to me that that pre- premeditation piece might hurt her in, in terms of getting, yeah. Uh, yeah. getting in, in insanely. Um, I, I guess, you know, this has been done. The damage has been done. There, there's unfortunately no undoing it. What kind of lessons can we as a society draw, whether it's at the broad level in terms of intervention and the way that uh, society looks at mental illness or every day in our families, dealing with our loved ones and recognizing the uh, the warning signs. Yeah, I think we need to um, be able to, like people that are close to us, um, <clears throat> instead of being embarrassed about their mental illness or wanting to hide it from the world, it's something that uh, we need to understand needs to be addressed. And, and that these people that are suffering in this way, whether it's depression or bipolar disorder, or psychosis, or schizophrenia, they cannot, by willpower, set themselves right. 
It's just not going to happen. And oftentimes, that's the feedback they get from family members is pull yourself together. Stop moping around. You know, do this, do that. When they are literally incapable of taking positive action. And we, we need to understand that mental illness is the same as a physical illness. It's just that the organ it's affecting is the brain. And we need to find ways to make more mental health services available to more people. And we need to be able to um, have compassion towards the mentally ill. Most mentally ill people will never, ever, ever commit an act of violence. But they are fragile. They can be unpredictable. And we need to make sure that they get the help they need. Why do you think society is so resistant to all of those things that after all these years we can't seem to come to terms with mental illness? I think we're afraid. You look at somebody who has a serious mental illness, and if you go, oh, that's an evil person, or that's a bad person, or a weak person, then you don't have to look at the possibility that but for the grace of God, that could be you. And that's why we push it away because we're so afraid of it, afraid of going crazy, afraid of being considered crazy, afraid of how our mind might betray us. And, you know, when you think about it, it could happen to anyone. Yes, it could. I mean, you know, mental illness uh, comes on from uh, a variety of, of, of things, including um, traumatic brain injury, high fevers. I mean, heaven knows we can't help that. And other times it's just a, a chemical imbalance that things uh, we are exposed to uh, cause a, a change in our body chemistry and our neurology, and we can't stop it from happening. All we can do is just like with the physical illness, we can react and get the treatment that's appropriate for that illness. Diane Fanning, it's been a fascinating discussion. The book is Sleep, My Darlings. Where can people find that book, uh, your other books, and more information on everything that is that you do? Well, uh, that book is, of course, available at every place online you can think of as a physical book, as an e-book, and in less than a week, it'll be available as an audio book off of audio, audible.com. And we're a big, and believable, and big, big believer in audible.com. They're one of our big sponsors, and yeah. we're always, we, love, we love hearing the stories read. And I know you have a website, too. Yes, I do. It's uh, com, And uh, the other thing that might be of interest to your listeners is I'm on Facebook, and I have two Facebook pages, one for my True Crime books and one for my Lucinda Pierce series. And all this year, since this is the year of my 20th book, Sweet My Darlings was my 20th published book, uh, I'm giving away books every month. So uh, some of them are my books. Some of them are books by other writers. Next month, uh, I've got the latest from Alifair Burke mm. that I will be giving away. And uh, 
So we have, uh, I've, I've been doing a lot of different books all year long, and so they ought to check out my Facebook and and uh, find uh, a way that they might be able to win. Sounds like a good idea. So please do check it out. And Diane Fanning, thank you for your time today. Thank you for joining us on the crime scene. Thank you. It's been my pleasure to be here. And thank you for tuning into the crime scene. We certainly appreciate it. Hope you have a great week. And again, watch for those warning signs. Um, You know, sometimes things may be deeper than you perceive. So this is a cautionary tale for all of us. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.